IBA Talk, the Insurance Business America podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Insurance Business America Cyber Podcast Series. I'm Beth Moorcraft, Deputy Editor, and in today's episode, I'm very lucky to be joined by Brian Thornton, President and CEO of Pro Writers, an ENO, DNO, and Cyber MGA and Wholesale Brokerage based in Pennsylvania. Brian, thank you very much for, for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. It's great. Um, it's a very exciting topic. Today we have the pretty mammoth task of looking at the cyber insurance market in the US, what coverages are available, and how agents and brokers can negotiate the best possible solutions for their clients. So to start off with, Brian, can you give me a macro look at the US cyber insurance market and how it has evolved in recent years? Yeah, sure. So I think for the US cyber insurance market, there's a few things when we think about the market today, we still think of it as volatile compared to other lines. Uh, the coverages are evolving and changing constantly as far as the exposures and then the coverages available, uh, more so than certainly any other lines out there. Uh, we would say that from an insurance perspective, not all products are created equally. Uh, there's certainly a lot of different language. There's not much standardization at all, so everyone uses different terminology. There's different standard coverages available. There's a lot of things that uh, if people aren't fully familiar with the market are not necessarily knowledgeable enough to know to ask for certain things that aren't necessarily off the shelf but are available uh, to uh, brokers and clients. So that's something that we see. I think the way it's really evolved, obviously it's increased in size. It's increased in notoriety You know, with breaches. I think there's also been over the past few years a little bit of misinformation with um, the cyber insurance market as far as there being claims viewed as cyber claims that are really a property claim where someone brought a property policy or a, or a different type of policy, general liability, and then they try to tender a cyber claim to it. And then, you know, the headline seems to catch that cyber, you know, coverage isn't really available, uh, which, you know, I think is not, not true. Um, and so we certainly see a, an evolution in the coverages that are available beyond just the standard coverages. So for larger risks, uh, there's a lot more available as far as manuscripting and really looking at this from a holistic point of view. Um, so we would certainly say the market's increased in size over the past few years, but it's also the coverages and exposures have changed uh, a lot You know, over the last few years, whether that's an increase in frequency and severity of ransomware claims and then the re- resulting damages that kind of go downstream from that and then the coverages that are available. And certainly an increase in social engineering claims as far as frequency and severity of that as well. Um, so that's a little bit about how, how we're seeing things go more recently. Uh, I think related to that growth, we see larger companies certainly expanding coverage and expanding the limits that they're buying. Uh, when we think about that holistic view across all their policies and thinking about cyber as a, as a very specific coverage that they want to address all their needs. And smaller accounts, I think, are starting to realize that they have these exposures, either peers getting hit with claims or themselves going through an event and then realizing how disruptive a breach could be uh, or any sort of event uh, and then really taking a serious look at the policy. So I would say in the SME space, you certainly see a lot more of traditional non-buyers starting to buy today. Great. Okay. So that's uh, that must be quite an exciting um, space, that SME space for brokers and agents uh, in the U.S. market. 
Yeah, I think it's an exciting time. I do think from that standpoint, because I would still say less than 20% of small businesses buy this coverage from, from our viewpoint. And so there's still a lot of market yet to buy. And so there's still a huge amount of education in that space, education at the client level uh, and education at the broker level about you know what's available and, and what, what clients potentially need. And so there is a lot of that that needs to go into it for the SME space to really help these buyers. So if you think about a retail insurance broker, they've got to look after every single coverage that a client potentially needs, and they have all sorts of different clients. So think about all the different policies they could potentially be looking after for a client, and then you think about all the different carriers for each one of those, so they all have different appetites and different forms, and so then when you get into cyber, it can be a very long discussion, and it could be something that they might not necessarily be up to speed on, and it has the same issues, even though it's becoming a larger exposure, there's all sorts of differences, so it's probably hard for agents to keep fully up to speed on this while they're managing all the other products and exposures that each of their clients have. And so that's where we see education as being critical within the cyber exposure and insurance space for brokers so that they have resources available at their fingertips to look at these things and say, okay, I have this type of an account. I need to pull some information quickly and understand what this particular client might need and then start talking to them about it. So we certainly see a need there. Yeah. Okay. Um, so in terms of if we focus in on the SME uh, client, um, as you said, there's a lot of room for, for growth in that space um, and to uh, get more people to start buying these policies. So, so what essential coverages um, should agents and brokers be including in a broad cyber liability program for an SME client? So even for an SME, I mean, what's been great for the SME market is because it's been very competitive and a lot of new markets and existing markets have really focused on this, saying that they really want to address this and make sure that they can write uh, SME-style business for cyber. There's been a lot of competition, so I think coverage has broadened, and I think the pricing has become very aggressive, so that's all great for the buyer. Um, The coverages that we're starting to see that I would say would be standard Uh, on any risk, but certainly within an SME risk would be, if you break it into first party and third party, there's a few different coverages within that, and I'll just try to run through them quickly, but any policy should have generally full limits for most of the coverages. There might be one or two where there might be sublimits available, which I'll quickly touch on, but first party, I would think about forensics, uh, notification costs. So forensics, when you have a breach, having someone come in and be able to dig through and figure out exactly what happened, what information was accessed, and potentially who needs to be notified. It should have full coverage for notification costs. It should have full coverage for the credit monitoring that you would likely need to offer, uh, remediation coverage, uh, cyber business interruption coverage, which has gotten much broader uh, over the past few years from just traditional kind of cyber business interruption to now include things like dependent business interruption. And some carriers will also refer to another coverage as system failure. Uh, And then you have things like extortion and ransomware. Uh, You have potentially network or digital asset damage, so the cost to rebuild uh, after an event. Uh, And then you've got things like your cyber crime coverages, uh, which may overlap with your crime coverage or not, but that would include things like voluntary parting of funds and involuntary parting of funds, so social engineering. uh, Other people call it different things. Uh, And then you potentially have even further down that line access to client funds or push payment fraud. So You've got those things coupled with, as well as reputational harm and things like bricking or betterment coverage. All of that should be included within a small business policy just on the first party side. Uh, 
on the third party side, which often gets overlooked, I think you know you should be looking at full limits on traditional cyber liability coverage, so defense and indemnity related to a claim, uh, media liability, so electronic media. Uh, you should have full coverage for regulatory defense as well as potential regulatory fines and penalties. Um, that can certainly be notable costs when you have an event and you need to notify multiple state attorney generals uh, as well as the legals that would come in either under first or third party coverage. Uh, and then you have things like PCI fines and penalties, PCI assessments. Uh, those are really important for obviously anyone that's taking credit card information. And we certainly see uh, some companies think that that's less important because they think they outsource their payment processing, but that's critical for any company that's taking credit cards, even if they outsource processing to have. And then one thing that often gets overlooked in the third party side is contractual liability. So certainly that ties into PCI fines and penalties, but anytime a, a business has a contract to protect information, which would be pretty standard these days, sometimes those claims can come in the form of contractual liability claim. Uh, and so a breach of contract claim. So that's important to make sure that coverage is in there. And, and generally, we would see from any of the top carriers that all of these things that we just talked about would be included or can be included uh, for an SME client. Yeah. In terms of that, that third party coverage that you just explained, you know, why is that sometimes overlooked by brokers and agents? Um, I think the first party has become so significant uh, when the coverage started to evolve and the claims started to evolve, you really started to see a focus on the first party because it had sublimits and then expanding sublimits and then adding coverages to it. And so I think there just became a focus uh, in adding all those coverages and specifically listing each one as an individual coverage with its own sublimit, uh, whereas the third party liability has kind of been there forever and probably less of the claims have been covered. You know, the majority of payments, if we talk to a lot of carriers, have probably been on the first party side versus the third party side. But it can be really critical, especially if you're talking about regulatory defense, potentially fines and penalties, certainly if you have PCI. So I think the focus has been on the first party side because it's been different and evolving and adding a lot of newer coverages uh, and expanding them. But certainly the third party shouldn't be overlooked, uh, even though sometimes it does. Yeah. Okay. When you um, describe the state of the cyber insurance market at the start of this discussion, you mentioned that um, so far there's been a bit of a, a lack of standardization. Um, I know for a fact that different carriers use different terminology to explain the same risk. So one carrier might call uh, uh, you know, non-affirmative cyber risk, whereas another might describe it as silent cyber risk. So this seems yeah. to be a, an ongoing um, sort of trend in the industry. Uh, how much of a challenge is that for, for agents and brokers? Do you ever see that um, becoming more standardized, that language in the policy forms? Um, I think there's a move certainly to become as you know, more standardized as the policies evolve. I don't think the carriers are really going to agree to adopt each other's terminology or standard wordings across the board. I mean, over time, it might evolve a little bit more towards that uh, common language, but I don't see it fitting in, certainly in the near term, in the next five to 10 years, that you're going to see a lot of standardization across these, I think, because the policies really evolved on a surplus lines basis. You know, it's highly customized and highly particular to each carrier and their standard wordings. And a lot of these cyber wordings have come out of other policies, whether that's technology, you know, or media. 
And so you see a lot of, uh, you know, language that would then look similar to other products uh, that that carrier would use. So whether that's, you know, the underwriter or their legal department that likes to use some standard wording and definitions that they use. So I don't know that it's going to change anytime soon. Certainly, you're starting to see carriers offer a, lot of, offer a lot of the same coverages and the same supplements, even if they use different terminology. So the challenge for brokers, in my mind, especially if you're an agent that's dealing with all the other lines, is that these are com referred to completely differently. So if you have a, a small to mid-sized client that comes in and you want to offer them cyber and you go out and get them five quotes, you might look at this and say, it's going to take me all day to do a coverage comparison for this client. Uh, between mapping out all the different coverages and then understanding uh, what each coverage is for that carrier and then how that compares to definitions of other words from other carriers and things are in different sections. So it becomes really complicated to kind of look at different quotes from different carriers and understand really how they compare. And so I don't see, because I don't see the standardization coming anytime soon, that's going to be a continued challenge for brokers that certainly need to get multiple options and then compare them and, and deal with all the different languages and definitions. Mm. I know that at ProWriters you've actually brought out a solution or a tool to try and um, you know ease that that pain point for, for brokers and agents um, so your cyber IQ comparative rating portal could you perhaps mm -hmm. run us through you know how that works or how similar products like that might work to alleviate some of that pain for brokers? Yeah sure so I think for us We've worked with some of the top carriers in the space. We've got a wholesale brokerage arm and we've got an MGA arm. And on the MGA side, we built out our Cyber IQ platform really to make it a little bit easier for retail brokers to be able to come in and within 60 seconds of some basic data entry, be able to generate terms from multiple top carriers that we view as some of the broadest offerings in the market, but also the most competitive offerings in the market. And also firms that we think have the right claims reputation uh, that they've been here and done this before so that they know what they're doing and they've worked with all the vendors before uh, and the wordings have become tested. And so we've done it in a way that they can come in, they can enter some basic data about their client even if they don't have a cyber application filled out. Uh, and from there, instantly, they can see the limit deductible and price on their screen. And once they're happy, with, they can make a little bit of customization at that point within our portal. Once they say, hey, we're happy and we want to get quotes on this, when they hit that button, what we do is then create all the quote letters with the coverage letter, the form, the, the quote letter, the form, the endorsements, the application, which is then pre-filled with the data that's been entered into the portal, uh, as well as a coverage comparison document. And that's really what probably saves them the most amount of time is that if they're getting six quotes out of our, out of our platform, they're going to see all six carriers side by side in a bit of a grid that shows all the different coverages somewhat standardized, we've tried to reach across all the different coverages and, and use some more general terms as how they compare so to make it a little bit simpler. Uh, and then we've lined up all those different limits, sublimits, coverages, whether they're included or not uh, excluded. And it's a dynamic document so that every individual risk as it's uh, entered and as the rating has been done, it pulls through different sublimits or different coverages based on each risk. And we see that varies tremendously from carrier to carrier. And we also see that it varies tremendously based on the industry that they're in and the size of the risk. That might not only change the price, but it might change certain sublimits or certain endorsements that are going to automatically trigger. Uh, and so because we've automated that, I think it really saves brokers time and effort in putting together that comparison and making it simple for their client to understand. 
Mm. It, the, that type of comparison um, and benchmarking and that sort of thing seems to be sort of still fairly difficult, I guess, maybe in the cyber insurance market because it's so new, it, it's an evolving risk. Um, there's not loads of, of sort of claims and lost data to, to draw on. So, so what are mm-hmm. the tools um, and resources can agents and brokers perhaps tap into to help them provide you know, the best possible solutions for their clients? Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's a lot of tools out there for brokers to use for their clients that they can pass on. A lot of these things, there are a lot of reasonable things out there that are free. Some of the carriers will include things with their policy, but some will include things up front pre-bind so that you actually get something out of them. So some of the carriers are moving towards using a scanning technology to scan public infrastructure of a client uh, as part of the quick underwriting process for either a small or a large client. Uh, but often they can then bundle that report back with their quote letter and say, hey, we've done a scan, and here's how we would grade that scan, and here's areas that we think you're doing really well, and here's areas that uh, you have room for improvement. And some of them will even go as far as then helping you then figure out how step-by-step to go improve those things. So we're, we're certainly seeing a push on that side from carriers. A few started and a few more have followed suit uh, as they've been building those capabilities out. So that's tremendously valued too tremendous value to a small business that for free in the quoting process can get a risk report that comes from a scan that gives them real live information based on their risk as it as it looks to that individual carrier. So I think that's an important thing that's out there. I think as well as, you know, for middle market and up accounts, you're starting to see a lot of the carriers adopt uh, larger modeling uh, software technologies that they use to aid their underwriting process. So it's a much larger kind of robust process that's based on a lot of public data from these third-party companies that have built these huge models, and they constantly adapt those models and work with the carriers to customize them. But what that really does is kind of automate, even on a larger account, being able to pull data, whether it's benchmarking, whether it's risk reports, whether it's scanned uh, information, bundle it and help score so that the underwriter can review all that information a little bit faster than they ever would have been able to do you know, five or ten years ago, and then use that to rate the risk uh, in the most appropriate way based on their viewpoint. Uh, but a lot of these carriers will provide some of that data to a client in the underwriting r- report. Sometimes that'll be post-bind. If you bind with us, we'll give you this report. Uh, some are giving some of that information up front. Uh, so I think there's tools there uh, that brokers can pass down to their clients that can have a lot of value and don't cost anything. Uh, there's a few other things we get asked about a lot. Uh, one would just be a panel of firms. A lot of times people say, hey, if we need this service or this service, who should we be talking to? And so I think it's important uh, for agents to be talking to their clients and recommending that they build some of these relationships before they ever have a breach so that they have a relationship with these people so that there's some information collected before there's ever a breach uh, or an incident. So it will help on the back end. Uh, having that relationship and potentially having a knowledge of the customer systems before anything ever happens. So we get asked a lot about that. Can you provide us a list of vendors that you would recommend? And so we keep a panel of vendors that we would provide, that we know provide different services, whether that's forensics or whether that's legal, uh, that we can provide to agents and clients, whether they have a policy or not, that are some of the better vendors in the space that would be able to help them. Often what you'll see, though, with a policy is that you will get a list of vendors that are pre-approved by your carrier should you bind a policy. And so you want to be mindful of that, that if you ever do have a policy, that you're looking at that list uh, because that's going to be a pre-approved vendor that you know you can already work with, that the 
carriers already pre-negotiated a much better rate than you would get off the street. Uh, but they've also worked with that carrier. They understand their wording. They know the claims department. So it works uh, better for everybody in that standpoint. Uh, and I think there's also uh, things like uh, a lot of the carriers will have a, what they call a risk management hub. Uh, a lot of them use net diligences, their e-risk hub, uh, that would be a, a portal for the client to go to after they've bought a policy. And there's all sorts of resources for them in that portal. And a lot of them are free. The majority of them uh, are free. So there might be a data breach calculator where you can enter in some of your risk information and start playing with that model to see what you think your overall limit profile should look like. And your broker could certainly be doing that for you. Uh, but these are things that the client gets access to. There's all sorts of white papers and other information. So it's a wealth of information at their fingertips that they get access to when they bind a policy. Uh, and some of it's very carrier specific, uh, but a lot of them do provide a lot of free resources there for clients as well. So I think all of those uh, provide a lot of resources for, for very low cost. Yeah, it's great. There's so much information out there. And, you know, today we've just, well, Brian, we've pretty much skimmed the surface, but there's so much to talk about. Um, so thank you very much for, for sharing some insight onto the cyber insurance market. We appreciate you giving us um, some time. If you enjoyed that podcast, make sure to tune in to the rest of our cyber series. Also follow us on Twitter at InsuranceBizUS, on Facebook and LinkedIn, where we post all of our daily news stories. Thank you for listening to this episode of IBA Talk, brought to you by ProWriters. For more information about cyber insurance and coverage solutions available to you and your clients, visit them at ProWritersIns.com. That's ProWritersIns.com. Further episodes of the IBA Talk Cyber Podcast series are now available. Follow us on SoundCloud and Stitcher and access new insights into the cyber risk landscape, risk mitigation strategies, and breach response methods. Listen now. Listen now.